Hello and welcome to Gifts of the Weird. My name is John, your host, and I am really happy to have with me two special guests. They are the editors of a really cool anthology that is coming out soon, uh, by the end of this year. And uh, it's really a cool collaboration. I'm really looking forward to talking with them because they, uh, the book is in its Kickstarter phase. And I'm trying to get this out and we're going to talk so that we can get this out prior to the Kickstarter's end and be able to talk about it and some of the cool things that are happening. with. So with me today is uh, Muhammad Arangzeb Ahmad. Uh, he is an affiliate assistant professor at the University of Washington and a research scientist focusing on AI. He has edited two anthologies focused on science fiction with Islamic themes or Muslim cultures, A Mosque Among the Stars and Islamicates. Muhammad is the founder and editor of the Islam and Sci-Fi Project, which he has been running since 2005. And also with me is Joshua Gillingham. He is the designer of the card game All Thingy, One Will Rise and the author of The Saga of Torin Ten Trees, a fantasy adventure trilogy inspired by the Norse myths and Icelandic sagas. Along with Ian Stewart Sharp and Dr. Vidalin, he produced a humorous phrase book titled Old Norse for Modern Times. Joshua lives in Vancouver Island with his adventurous spouse and their two very unadventurous cats, Muhammad and Joshua. Welcome to the show and thanks for joining me. Hey, John. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, thank you for having us. This is really great. I, as I mentioned, when I started reaching out to Outland Entertainment, who is producing the book with you, and to yourselves, that this was just brought to my attention over the weekend. And someone posted it in a group that I belong to. And they're like, hey, this looks kind of interesting. And I was like, what? This does look interesting. What is it about? So I did. I spent like probably an hour going through Outland Entertainment, the Kickstarter, watching the video on there, (laughs) trying to figure out all kinds of what is this about? At first, I thought it was a graphic novel. I thought it was going to be illustrated stories, which is really cool because I love reading graphic novels and illustrated stories. I'm part of a book club. So I was kind of thinking that that was what it was, but further exploring through the the material and the website, uh, Outland Entertainment's website, I was like, oh no, this is actually written stories. It's not graphic. So uh, that kind of got me even more excited because that means a lot is kind of left up to the imagination and there's a lot more detail in the writing and things like that. So I'm really looking forward to reading the rest of this book because I've been privileged to read more than just excerpts. I've read the first two stories and I gotta tell you, they're really cool. So uh, gentlemen, first thing I'd like to ask is how did this idea come about? Um, how did, or how did you two meet and get together and then formulate this idea? Yeah. So Joshua actually contacted me from my perspective from out of nowhere. Uh, so he mentioned, <laughs> so he mentioned that uh, he's, he's interested in doing this project uh, and he has done He's already done a done the board game that you mentioned earlier. And so he's exploring this idea of intersection between the Viking and the Islamic cultures. Uh, and this was something that I had been aware of in the past, especially the uh, from early to late medieval era. There are, uh, if you look at the history of the world, uh, we see that uh, there's what we think now think of as globalization is, has been going on forever. And that said, there are many stories uh, at least when it comes to the public imagination that get left left out. So that that was something which really appealed to me, uh, just being part of something which where we get to tell tell these stories, uh, these often forgotten narratives of rich cultural cultural interactions, not just between the east and west, but also between the north and south. And I I just 
I just couldn't say no. Cool. Joshua, anything you want to add to that? Yeah, no, totally nailed it. That was it. And I was, um, like I said, I just called uh, Muhammad out of the blue. Like we'd never met before. So I was thinking, you know, oh, this guy's going to think I'm so weird. You know, is he going to say like, oh, you're crazy. There's no, like not enough historical evidence for that. And I, I, I didn't even realize that yeah, Muhammad had been at the time sort of aware and, and looking into some of the stuff on the same thing. So it's almost like we were... Um, we're taking a look at this this unexamined or underexamined part of history and saying like there's more stories here and uh well maybe we'll get to the importance of you know why we think these stories need to be told especially right now but um but no i was so uh, i was so excited and muhammad you can correct me if you're wrong but uh, I, I think when i asked you your, your your exact words were something like vikings of course vikings are awesome who wouldn't want to do something about vikings and so i was like oh sweet okay that's great so we can uh, so we can do this and uh, yeah kind of work together on it it is kind of interesting because when, for me, growing up and learning certain eras of history and things, part of the what we learned about Eric the Red and some of the Viking era cultures and, and histories like that, I didn't even think about them possibly going into the Mediterranean and over interacting with the Islamic world at that point, because we always hear about how they impacted North America or Iceland or the Scandinavian cultures. So this interaction between Islamic cultures and Viking era people is really interesting to me and very exciting. And I've got to say that uh, part of the reason why I'm really excited in this is because I have spent time in the Middle East uh, in my when I was in the Navy, was spent a year stationed in Bahrain. And so I got to see a lot of cultures and countries over there and uh, was exposed to Islamic culture. And I really enjoyed that period. I really loved uh, what I learned about that time. So it's really cool for me to read these stories and to have these stories that I can read through because I can envision some of the, the, the places where someone might be from because I've been there. Super cool. Super cool. Yeah. So Mohammed, uh, you are a sci-fi writer and it sounded like perhaps you've been exploring the connection between Viking era people um, already and Islamic cultures. Uh, how did that come about? Uh, so I would frame it slightly different. Okay. We, uh, so I've, I've so I've been interested in these cross-cultural global interactions uh, between between various cultures, uh, especially the ones which just glossed over uh, in in history. So the interaction between the Vikings and and predominantly Muslim cultures being another one, um, and even beyond that, I would say uh, so. The the uh, the anthology is actually set in the early 10th century, but one thing that that a lot of people do not know is that uh, when it comes to the Normans who actually settled in Italy, uh, who are, who are technically the descendants of Vikings, or one can even argue that they are Vikings. Uh, so the Normans at, uh, actually, specifically uh, uh, King Roger. Uh, he actually sponsored the greatest work of Islamic geography in medieval history. Uh, so the book is actually called uh, Kitabu Rajal, or the Book of Roger. So it's it was written by a Muslim geographer Idrisi, and but it's dedicated to a Christian king. Uh, so by that time, the uh, this is much later in history. So by that time, the uh, uh, the Vikings had converted to Islam. So I just, I've just been aware of these many of these cultural interactions where uh, it was just not an isolated incident, but Vikings and Muslims across not just one, not just Arabs, but across multiple cultures have been aware of one another and interacted with one another. And I just I just found that to be fascinating. Yeah. Joshua, how about you? How did you get involved, interested in this connection? 
Yeah, so um, I, I had been aware of a few connection points and a few sources. Um, in terms of it being on my radar, uh, it was uh, initially suggested to me by the um, one of the editors at Outland Entertainment, Alana um, Abbott, and a part of their goal and sort of mission in, in some of the stuff they're creating, and they create like comic books and and books and board games, is sort of finding those, like Mohammed said, those sort of stories that have been sort of looked over or glossed over um, in history, uh, especially uh, when put up against sort of the, um, the the singular narrative that is often presented in history in terms of, uh, you know, very Eurocentric, um, uh, very Christian-centric, very uh, all sorts of things. So uh, this just totally um, struck a note with me, and I started to dig into things and, and had a few threads. One of the sources um, you might be aware of as well is the um, the emissary Ibn Fadlan, who uh, was traveling north from the uh, empire in Baghdad, and he was visiting um, the Volga Bulgars, which uh, hosted all sorts of people, sort of a trading port. There was a lot of uh, interactions. And his journal recollection of the Vikings he saw there is actually our only firsthand written account we have of Vikings. Um, now, there's lots of historical sources, of course, from the Christian monks uh, and, and bishops and archbishops, uh, especially as the attacks um, on things like Lindisfarne um, uh, are very famous. But those were uh, written accounts um, uh, recorded either at a later time or by somebody else. Ibn Fadlan gives us amazing sort of like first person view of, you know, the people he's seen and their customs. And he's fascinated by them. And he's sort of, um, you know, disgusted by some of their habits, but he's, um, uh, you know, intrigued and uh, in particular, and this of course, I think in terms of, um, uh, you know, how we remember the Vikings and see them, uh, is really important. He gives us the only, um, eyewitness account we have of the Viking, uh, burial custom of, uh, placing a Viking in, uh, uh, his or her ship, uh, piling it up with treasure, setting it up to sea and then lighting it on fire. And so he gives a detailed account of this happening and, and things like this were just couldn't ignore it. And so, uh, uh, and we sort of put our heads together, uh, did some uh, research and started compiling resources. And eventually we were convinced, like, we have something to go with here. Like, this is really cool. This is really exciting. Um, uh, we hope we can kind of get some authors on board for this and uh, put together the collection. And so that was, that was kind of how it all started. <laughs> That's really cool. What, what a great idea. Uh, and what a great opportunity. Uh, um, so you have a lot of authors who've contributed short works. How did you go about getting submissions or finding these authors? And what are some of their backgrounds and connections to this that that you had to filter through to say this is the right story or not? And how was that process? So from my perspective, I was, I was mainly looking for authors who, who would bring to the table a certain perspective and also to have as many diverse viewpoints as possible. Uh, so we have authors uh, like Geeti. Chandra, who's actually originally from India, but who is now settled in Iceland and who actually now specializes in in, in, in Scandinavian history. So the, the story that she has uh, written, so it weaves uh, not just uh, narratives of the Vikings, but also uh, also the Slavs and and the Byzantine Empire and even Ibn Fadlan. Uh, it's, a, it's a small spoiler. Even he, he, he makes up an an appearance, <laughs> and, and and I believe you have all, already uh, read the story from Sami Shah. Uh, so I, I really like how he weaves, uh, uh, like not just Islamic perspective also, but also weaves in Norse mythology into that. Mm-hmm. Uh, something I mean, the the ending of the story is very surprising. So I like that particular aspect. Mm-hmm. And then beyond that, I think the other thing was that we wanted. I, 
in my mind, to cap not just capture a variety of perspectives, uh, but also narratives which range from capturing the very mundane to, uh, let's say, capturing more meta narratives of, let's say, the uh, stories. So there are a couple of stories which we've, uh, uh, let's say, the, the if I were to use the term, the Islamic worldview and also the Norse uh, worldview. And just bringing, bringing them together, I will say that that really requires very creative thinking. So I'm, I'm glad that it worked out at the end. Yeah, and I might add um, to that too. Yeah, just like Muhammad said, like we were looking for authors who um, you know had expertise or sort of background or experience writing in one area, but could sort of bring something unique to the table. Um, and one thing I really appreciate that I feel like all of the authors did um, uh, in incredible ways um, is to sort of uh, bring the two cultures together and sort of um, just kind of see some, you know, sparks fly, not, not in a conflict way, just in the sort of like, you know, where are their connection points, right? In, in what ways do they um, see the world similarly? And uh, what are some of maybe the friction points, right? What are some cultures or customs that uh, they would look at the other person and say, you know, well, that doesn't make any sense. Why do you do that? Um, uh, without it being sort of one or the other and also avoiding this whole like, um, you know, oh, well, it's really all just the same. Like we're all the same. We all, it's just, it, it celebrates the differences without sort of uh, taking a side, I don't think is the right word, but yeah, it's, it's just a, a a really cool um, perspective that uh, authors have taken here. Yeah, I, in Blasphemy of the Gods uh, by Sami Shah, I, l I think this is where I read it because it, it might be in the first one and I, I'm just confusing them, but I love how the main character talks about when they get to Iceland and they're like, I hate the cold. It's so cold here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> that was, I, I just thought that that was a great way to show the contrast between where one person lives to where they're going to someplace completely opposite, you know, uh, and they're talking about the ice and the volcanoes and it, it's, I, I love that little element of making it personal yeah. and uh, that, that really made the story a little bit more uh, alive to me. So that's that was, awesome. <laughs> and and uh, Muhammad, I, uh, you're right. That story really caught me by surprise <laughs> by the time I got to the end. I was like, well, whoa, I was not seeing that coming at all. Excellent. I love it. That's so great. <laughs> so when, when you two were reading, I'm really interested in how the how you process the stories. Did you each just have a block of stories and you read them, and then you you made your choices, and then you kind of got together and say which ones overlapped, and then kind of had to battle it out as to which ones got into the book. How, how did that collaborate? How did that collaboration come? That process come about? You want me to take that one, Muhammad? You want to do that one? Uh, sure. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. So um, the editing process, it was great um, uh, to, to work with Muhammad to have uh, like the two of us on the project. Um, uh, editing an anthology like this, especially with the, you know, the caliber of authors we're working with um, is so exciting, but it is so much work. And it was so nice to be able to, you know, we'd phone each other up every few weeks and just sort of check in. And um, uh, we were swapping stories back and forth. So typically, you know, um, uh, he'd do a batch, he'd kind of read through and I'd do a batch and then we'd swap. And um, uh, in terms of edits, we'd kind of go back and forth. Uh, we asked for some rewrites, we asked for some tweaks um, here and there just to kind of keep in line with the with the vision of the anthology and, and what we were trying to capture. Um, but uh, uh, no, all the way through, uh, we sort of bounced ideas back and forth. And um, uh, yeah, I think I, I expected to sort of uh, come across a lot more things that maybe sort of we disagreed about or some, some roadblocks, but uh, this whole project has just had this really 
um, kind of unique and, and uh, exciting sort of synergy in terms of it. It really felt, felt all the way through like it was building towards kind of what it's become, which is this really, um, yeah, yeah, unique, original, fascinating, um, uh, uh, you know, um, kind of. I was going to say rapturous. That's maybe a little bit. Uh, that's maybe a little bit intense. But it just it, you know it just captures your imagination. That's a really interesting way to do that. And you must have had a lot more stories that you ha- weren't able to use. Where there's some really hard choices to make. Some stories you're like, I just can't. You know, you know what? We actually know we um, we considered doing open submissions for this. Um, there are, I think. Just around this topic, there are some challenges um, uh, with doing that, as well as it's just a lot of work to go through mm-hmm. open submissions. So um, and we and we definitely had a vision for what we wanted for this anthology. So this one was uh, uh, by invite only, and so we um, uh, I spent a few was it two or three months I think Mohammed we spent sort of emailing authors and we we sort of created a dream list and um, I was amazed. Um, uh, you know, many of the authors we talked about like right from the get go. You know, I there was a few that I said, oh, I really love to have these authors on and. Muhammad was saying like, oh yeah, uh, you know, I know these, um, uh, especially, um, uh, uh, I know uh, two or three of the authors uh, who he'd sent stories to me already. Um, he was excited about, it. and and they they were so excited about the project and they jumped on. I was worried that uh, uh, some of the because these are some big name authors. I mean, we've got like um, you know uh, like Sammy for a great example. Like he's a published author. He's a, a radio host. He's a comedian. Um, uh, he's from Australia, um, uh, uh, Pakistani Australian. Um, you got Linnea. Um, uh, Hardisuker, you, you read her story as well. I mean, she's published through HarperCollins. She's got a trilogy out called The Golden Wolf Saga, which is um, kind of like one of the biggest, I would say, historical fiction um, trilogies in Viking history right now. You know, since I, I would almost say since Bernard Cornwall's um, uh, uh, works, which the History of Vikings TV show is based off of. Um, so... Yeah, it was it was by invite only, which cut down a little bit of work for us, um, uh, and uh, also uh, allowed us to sort of uh, maybe set the project for success in terms of our vision and mm-hmm. kind of uh, having a bit of a sense of how it would turn out. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> I, I could see an open call being like really a lot, a lot to wade through, and uh, yeah, okay, uh, Mohammed, um, what do you think is really important? Because a lot of a lot of people who probably pick up this book uh, may not be familiar with Islamic culture. And what are some things that you think are important for people who are not familiar to be able to understand or to be able to catch on kind of easily about how Islamic culture is so vital to the rest of the world, especially from that period of time? Um, uh, There's a lot of questions there. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So a couple of uh a couple of thoughts on this. So one is that uh, one aspect that the anthology brings out and something that I, maybe a message that I would want people to take away from this is that, uh, so especially in the U.S., uh, when people think about Islamic cultures, they're mainly think about, thinking about Arabs. Uh, so while historically speaking, at least in early history of Islam, that's, that's true because Islam originated in the Arabian Peninsula. But that said, uh, I mean, Muslims are an extremely diverse lot. I mean, it had, has to be because, I mean, we're talking about 1.6 billion people in the world mm-hmm. spread across a vast geographical area. Uh, so even in the, so even, even the book, it deals with uh, Vikings and predominantly Muslim cultures, but you have not just Arabs, but you also have Persians uh, and even 
uh, even Muslims from let's say Ethiopia, so that they also show up in at least one of the stories. Mm. So this the, the diverse representation of Muslims. I think that's one one thing that I like. Um, that uh, the other part of the question being that how did these interactions happen? Um, so the story is set in the early 10th century. And so by that time, uh, the Islamic cultures, uh, so they span from on one side from Spain all the way to India. And so there were multiple meeting points uh, between Vikings and Muslims. So one was uh, one was one one was the Volga Bulgars. That's what uh, the, the story of Ibn Fadlan and what uh, Josh mentioned earlier. Uh, so the white so there was a lot a lot of trade going on uh, from that part of the world to the Middle East. Uh, so Ibn Fadlan was a an ambassador f- from the Caliph of Baghdad uh, to the Volga Bulgars, and uh, so a lot of movement of trade goods. And one thing that a lot of people do not know is that the Vikings were actually one of these main suppliers of slaves uh, to the Islamic world at that time. Uh, uh, another point of contact was that there were also several Viking raids uh, in in Islamic Spain at that time. And they, so we had, interestingly, we have a number of stories where, where many of these Vikings, they were actually captured. And, and eventually some of them even settled in Spain. They were even Vikings who settled in Morocco. And my favorite story is that some of the Vikings, so they're in, in some books, in historical books in Arabic, they mention in passing that uh, there were these Men from the north, so referring to the Vikings, who were who were selling cheese in in in, in Islamic Spain, and they were actually really good at making cheese. <laughs> and the last one I would say is uh, uh, the main point of contact being uh, being southern Italy uh, with with the Normans, um, and that that's another. Although our anthology does not delve too much delve into that particular era because that's a hundred years after. The anthology is said, but that's another place that I'm really fascinated because that's where, even after the Normans, these Viking descendants of the Vikings had conquered southern Spain, uh, uh, the uh, the Christians and Muslims uh, and and the Jews they actually lived in harmony in southern Italy for 150 years under Norman rule. So yeah, and given the the very entrepreneurial nature of Vikings, so they I mean if you look at the geographical areas that I just described, I mean from Spain to all the way to Central Asia, I mean that covers a very large uh, uh, span of geographical area, um, not just from the Viking side but also uh, even in terms of Islamic cultures, uh, we are talking about cultures which, which although they had religion in common, but at the same time they were also very diverse in nature. I feel a little bit at a loss. I mean, because I, like uh, the folks who will be listening, I don't know what's ahead, right. <laughs> and I kind of don't like that idea based on the two stories that I've read already. So tell me, um, I don't know how to put this. Do you have a favorite story? <laughs> Oh, John, you're going to ask us for a favorite story as an editor? Oh, man, that's like asking parents like who the favorite child is. Okay, let's not say but, a favorite. Yeah. <laughs> let's just say what, what are stories that, <laughs> that you appreciate, and they won't be ones better than the other. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, so for me, the stories that really stand out are, which talk about meta-narratives uh, of history. Uh, so from that perspective, I say Bjorn's uh, Abhobat. 
I'm pronouncing his name correctly. Uh, that story really stands out. I, I think the how he weaves together concepts from Islamic theology as well as uh, the Norse way of thinking, uh, the mythology itself. Uh, I mean, it, it's it it's a task which is not very straightforward, and just the manner in which he he does that, uh, like just without giving away the story, just for example, weaving let's say Odin into uh islamic mystical thinking uh that's just amazing from my perspective mm. i've got to agree with muhammad yeah jana benjaminson is a writer from norway and uh I, I believe um muhammad you knew him or had been connected to him through um an international sci-fi organization i believe is that correct uh correct yeah, yeah, um, and uh, his his interest in uh, Sufi mysticism um, uh, sort of is, is intertwined with his knowledge of Norse myths, and I feel like um, I, I I love the entire anthology. I, I got to say, every story there's something I love about it. I I feel like Bjarna is the one who took this concept and just ran with it as far and you know as far afield as he possibly could. And he even in his first drafts, he like warned us. He's like, this story is out there. Like it's. Like, like I really took this to the, to the, like, just tell me if this is too far. And so, um, I, and I think the anthology works together so well in terms of, um, uh, you know, some stories, um, like Linnea's story having a setting, um, uh, uh, uh sort of much more in, uh, um, the East, whereas, you know, other stories are, um, uh, you know, set in Iceland or a bit farther North. Um, this story though, I felt was just, you know, taking this idea and not only talking about um, uh, cultures, but even like, you know, beliefs and like views of the world. And, uh, you know, he interweaves, uh, you know, not only things from um, uh, Islam and from, uh, uh, from, from Scandinavia, but it's also sort of involves um, uh, the Byzantine empire and the, the empress is in there at some point. And it's just, yeah. Uh, and it's, it, it's a bit of a wild ride. You have to strap yourself in before you go for it. Um, and we selected it. Um, and Mohammed, you can clarify this too, if you want, but uh, we selected it as uh, the last story just because we kind of felt if you've gone on this journey through all of these other stories, you're, you're kind of ready for this. I think if you had just jumped into that, you might kind of feel like you got blindsided a little bit. Um, uh, but it's an incredible story. And um, like Muhammad said, his interweavings are just so, um, um, uh, I, I think, exciting and uh, dynamic and unique. That's, um, yeah, hopefully that makes you want to read the book. Let me ask you, you this. Are there any stories that you think I want more of I want either a longer story or maybe uh, some more short stories that kind of connect them on. Or do you think that there might be a possibility um, for the author to maybe explore more that world or that realm? Well, you're giving us ideas here for graphic novels and stuff like that. So we'll have to take that back to Outland and say, hey, the people, they want graphic novels. Who knows? But. Yeah, I, I think any number of these stories could lend themselves well to uh, uh, to graphic novels or even even you know f- novels that would sort of fill up the back stories of these characters. But uh, what do you think, Mohammed? That that's exactly what I was thinking when uh, when 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 we were discussing about graphic novels. Uh, yeah, we, uh, I mean we can exp- definitely expand the narratives. Uh, many of these stories definitely do lend themselves as part of the novels and i i do recall when at least for like two or two three of these stories when we were talking back and forth over the phone and i i recall that i mentioned that man it would be great if this this was this was a novel or at least a novella <laughs> yeah um, uh, yeah so hopefully yeah so hopefully in the future who knows maybe something like this would would come about i mean another thing that i've said is that well maybe uh this some of these could be we can take that in a very different direction and could even be a foundation or basis of let's say for an alternative history 
Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah I, well, I could see that it would be fun to have some more more adventures with Vidar and Fatima now that they have <laughs> left, right? I mean, <laughs> totally. Right? It's begging for it, right? Yeah, yeah. That sounds like really fun. I, I really, I really love the relationship between those two. Totally. And you know what? One thing I love about uh, Linnea's story that you're referencing, and obviously like readers um, uh, uh, won't have too much context, but I I just want to, she did such a good job, I feel like, of, you know, there's there's this friendship between these two characters, um, uh, uh, Rashid and Vidar, and they just, you know, it's just one of those, like, their bond is like brotherhood, right? And uh, uh, their their kind of cause and their dedication to each other is um, uh, is just like so, you know, heart-wrenching in terms of, you know, the setting of the story. Uh, But she does such a good job too of sort of uniting them in purpose too and uh, one of the really cool things that Linnea did and this this pops up a few times in the anthology is she draws some really interesting connections between um sort of the Norse version of Apocalypse, uh, which if you're familiar with Norse mythology, you know, they call it Ragnarok, you know, destruction of the gods or the doom of the gods. She draws some um, uh, uh, connections uh, between that and some of the Islamic ideas of Apocalypse. And um, we even went back and forth a few times uh, with her about, you know, well, what term should we use? Um, Because there's references that are also, these also cross over uh, to some biblical sources. So do we use the biblical, um, you know, um, sort of anglicized names so our readers will recognize them? Should we make some footnotes? Um, you know, and there's the Norse terms. So, uh, yeah, her ability to sort of, um, you know, not only have this like sort of driving, gripping narrative, but also kind of to, to, to play with that, you know, take the beliefs and the cultures and see where are the connection points, where are the friction points, how might, you know, these two people, um, connect and find sort of a common purpose or cause. Yeah, I agree. Uh, that story was, it really engaged me and just kind of pulled me right in right away. That's all I can say. Over too soon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was. I was just like, what? It's No, I want more. We're, this can't be the end of the story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's great. Well, thanks so much for sharing uh, the stories that impact you. I mean, and yeah, and this isn't to minimize any of the other stories. They're all, I'm sure they're all excellent and, and really looking forward. I'm really looking forward to, to uh, getting my copy and delving into it. And getting into it. And speaking of that, uh, tell us about the Kickstarter. So you have a Kickstarter going. It's going until May 25th, 2021. And um, what's happening with that? Uh, What is available uh, as part of the Kickstarter? Joshua. Sounds good. So, uh, (laughs) yes. The All Thingy Kickstarter is live right now, um, and uh, there's all sorts of ways you can get involved with the project, um, uh, get access to the project, support the project. Um, uh, the book is available by ebook or by physical copy, and you can back um, at sort of the basic levels for those, and uh, that that's great. E-copies are easy because um, they just get sent out. Um, uh, if you have an e-reader, that's fine. Uh, I'm kind of old school. I love physical books, and so uh, you know me. I'll have a physical copy on my shelf for sure, uh, and you can get a copy of that as well. Um, as you mentioned at the beginning, uh, there's there's a tie-in to this sort of universe of uh, a card game, which I had designed prior to this anthology. And so the characters of the anthology, that's another thing we hadn't mentioned before, but the characters from the anthology sort of take um, some of these characters from the game and sort of uh, give them backstory. So it was kind of a cool starting point and linking point to get the um, the, the authors kind of started and uh, to manage this sort of, you know, um, huge puzzle of how, you know, how do you invite 14 different authors from 14 different, you know, totally, you know, unique backgrounds into one project, you know, the same universe and 
make it make sense. And so um, you can get the card game as well, uh, uh, some of the middle tiers, as well as the deluxe version, which was um, uh, offered during the uh, Kickstarter as well for the board game that was successfully funded back in the fall. And that includes um, uh, a unique metal coin with uh, um, some um, uh, Norse runes on it. And of course, John, you'd be familiar with that as well as your readers. Um, and um, or your listeners, I should say, and uh, uh, neoprene playing mat. If you're a big board game fan uh, like I am, uh, it's really annoying trying to pick those cards up off of uh, a plain hard table. The neoprene mat looks great. It's got uh, you know um, some diagrams that help sort of with the layout of the game, and uh, you can pick them up. Last but not least, our top tiers are uh, and get this, I'm not joking. The entire anthology collection from Outland Entertainment, and they've been doing cool anthologies for a while. I'm biased. I think we're the coolest of them all. Uh, other people might uh, <laughs> argue, but uh, once again, I'm kind of biased. But yeah, you can get the entire anthology collection. I think it's something like it's like eight or nine. Is it nine? Nine or ten books. It's it's huge. And so if you love um, uh, uh, historical fiction, science fiction, fantasy, um, uh, they've got one anthology that's completely about uh, 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 living in the age of dinosaurs because they uh, had a, a big dinosaur. Um, game come up and they tied an anthology too. It's all there. And uh, uh, so any of those tiers uh, will help support the project. Right now we're at 30%. Actually, I think we hit 32% today. So um, uh, we're gaining ground. We've got a good sort of solid base of backers, but we need more people on board to make this project happen. So um, we really appreciate you having us on here, John, sort of to get the word out. And uh, that's what we say too. You know, if you think this is exciting, if, if this sort of topic uh, pumps you up and you want to learn more, projects like this need backers. So yeah, please go to the Kickstarter, all thingy. The Crescent and the Northern Star. Check it out. Consider backing and share with anybody you know who's a big history nerd or uh, is interested in uh, uh, that sort of thing, who loves books. Definitely will. And I'll have the links in the notes. And yeah, I'm glad that you talked about the game because I saw in some of the press information that it was inspired by the game, all thingy. I, ha I don't have that game, but I'm going to because that was part of my <laughs> Kickstarter pledge. <laughs> was Great. to get the game Great. as well as the books and, uh, and do that. And and we can find, uh, um, Muhammad, tell us about your sci-fi work. What, what types of topics and subjects do you um, bring about as far as uh, your work over in your uh, sci-fi projects? Yeah, so I would say I've been interested in sci-fi as far back as I could remember. And uh, during my undergrad days, I was really interested and fascinated by, even to this day, I would say, with uh, sci-fi with uh, Buddhist themes. I mean, I've... I, it's my somewhat biased opinion that some of the best sci-fi which has come out, uh, at least in written form, has some Buddhist influences. And so that got me, in, so during my undergrad days, that got me interested regarding, okay, so coming from an Islamic background, uh, like what kind of Islamic themes have been influenced uh, sci-fi and what kind of material which has come out from the Islamic world? And that just started me on this journey. I started this for the Islam and sci-fi project which chronicles uh, sci-fi regardless of wherever it's produced uh, which is inspired from Islamic cultures or set in predominantly uh, uh, Muslim countries um, so it's more I would say Islam in a cultural sense and not necessarily or not just in a religious sense and so it's, uh, it's uh, the resource that I've created. It's basically chronicles uh, sci-fi from predominantly Islamic cultures and various languages, uh, so Arabic, Turkish, Persian, Urdu, uh, even Bengali, Malay, etc. 
and also even in the English language, uh, sci-fi, which has come out and which is translated from other languages, and sci-fi, which has which is influenced from Islamic uh, cultures and themes. Um, so the most famous example of that being uh, being 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 Dune. So which is by some uh, folks considered to be one of one of the greatest sci-fi novel ever written. Um, so I would say in terms of my interest and background, uh, that that that's that's what I focus on. Yeah, thanks. It sounds exciting. Any last things that you want us to bring up about the the book, the project, what's coming up? I mean, uh, we know that Outland Entertainment has some really amazing projects going on. Are, are you are either of you working on future projects for Outland Entertainment or anything else that people can look at finding you at? I'm not sure what your next project is, Muhammad. I am uh, working hard to finish my fantasy trilogy, um, uh, the Tentry Saga. And so hopefully that'll be finished. And I've got another project in the works that's still under wraps, uh, but uh, probably more writing. Um, I would love to do more work in the All Thing universe too. I think uh, it's just one of those, you know, one thing at a time. The, the anthology right now is the focus. And like we talked about, I would love to work, um, uh, continue to work with Muhammad, continue to work with some of the um, uh, authors to maybe develop uh, uh, more stories or longer stories or graphic novels, who knows? So uh, some exciting things. Uh, yeah, for, yeah, for me, I would say, as Joshua mentioned, so one, one thing at a time. Uh, with that said, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, it, that said for me, it's it's kind of hard to do that. There's always something else going on. Uh, currently, besides Althingi, I would say there there are a few academic um, uh, there uh, there are a few academic projects that I'm working on. Uh, it's mainly mainly related to artificial intelligence and machine learning. And as as Josh mentioned, uh, yeah, I, I would love to continue and explore the Althingi universe. Well, we're looking forward to this coming out, and then hopefully, uh, I would love to see some additional, some uh, an all thingy too, for sure. And whether it continues some of these stories or all new stories or a combination of both, that would be fantastic. Really looking forward to this, Muhammad and Josh. Thank you so much for joining me on this, and we're going to be looking for some great success. We're going to see this thing um, kickstarted and going forward. And thank you for joining us on the show. Thanks so much, John. Thanks for having us. Excellent. Thank Thank you for having us, John. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Please leave positive comments on iTunes and other podcast distributors. This helps others to find the podcast. Please send feedback and ideas to giftsoftheweird at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Twitter at WeirdGifts, Facebook at Gifts of the Weird, and on Instagram at WeirdGifts1. Check out the show notes for links. Thank you, and hail the gods.